Invisible Soldiers podcast. Welcome to the Invisible Soldiers podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Rebecca. And we are the host of the fastest growing podcast in advertising. Today, we are really excited. Wonderful guests. And I want to start by saying, you know, whenever you see really good creative advertising work, people immediately think of ad agencies. But I want to go on record as saying no good ads happen or come without great clients on the other side who are well-informed, thoughtful, and passionate about the work. Today, we welcome someone I consider a comrade fighting the good fight to not only represent and uplift Black culture, but do so while creating award-winning consumer-facing communications. She's a Hampton University graduate. She's currently the head of multicultural marketing for Cadillac, where her experience and love for this target is already leaving lasting impact on the work. Welcome to the pod, Juanita Slappy. <laughs> I got my spirit fingers going. Kissing. All right, all right. Amazing, amazing. Well, welcome, welcome, Juanita. I'm so excited to have you in the pod. Welcome to our space. And again, I want to also double tap and highlight uh, that she is a Hampton University graduate. H-U, my home by the And also from Detroit, Michigan, where my home, Corey, has also worked there. So we are really, really excited to have you here and, and lean into all the things that you say. So let's start from the beginning. You know, as Corey and I were talking before, you know, not only are we colleagues, but we are a fan of your work and all the things that make you, you. And we know that a part of that is your legacy and your family. And I read that your grandfather was also a GEAM employee. And just from a marketing perspective, you know, family, but also just the choices that we make, just thinking about how that brand loyalty, like, did that have any effect on you? What, you know, talk about that relationship and just, you know, your overall experience in considering GM, you know, in your, your overall career journey. Yeah. First and foremost, thank you for welcoming me to the pod. Rebecca and Corey, happy to be here and share space with you all. But absolutely, being let's just ground it in being from the D, right? Being from Detroit. I want to say it's a joke, but it's not because in all humor, there's truth. Everybody knows someone who works in automotive, right? And I don't think it's just for Black consumers, but any consumers, your sphere of influence is who you know, and that's how you garner trust. So whether it be the big three, which yes, my grandfather, I'm blessed. Both of my grandfathers work for the automotive world. My paternal grandfather worked for Ford and I checked that box when I worked at Uniworld Group. And then my maternal grandfather retired from Cadillac when I was in high school. So that was a a personal, a deeper connection in that he bought my first car. He welcomed me into this automotive world, right? Only having Cadillacs. He bought me a Saturn. He bought my brother a Saturn. So it's one of those things, just like friends and families, they're the first people to sow seeds into your business that can foster a legacy. So I'm happy and proud to be both of their legacies and my family's legacy in the automotive field. That's so cool. Keeping it with that theme, when I go back in my personal memories and I think about targeted advertising, especially as it had a profound effect on me, the first one that I always go to was the Great Kings of Africa. It was this Anheuser-Busch campaign. And it was like, I think it was just posters. It wasn't even TV or nothing. I think it was just a series of posters. But I remember collecting them. I remember it was the first time in my life that I saw something and I knew it was the marketer was speaking directly to me. 
it was the first time I saw a connection between American Blacks and Africans. And it was probably the first time that I saw a positive representation of Africa. I learned all about these great kings and queens eventually of Africa. It was one of those ads that I think built some loyalty in me that I even know was there because by the time I got to drinking age, the first time I reached for a beer, I grabbed a Budweiser. So I don't, I think, (laughs) so I think there is some correlation there. Are there any ads back when you were coming up that you can remember that really stand out and kind of affected you in that deeper way? Absolutely. Fashion fair. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Again, I'm a grandparent's baby. My parents (laughs) were obviously impactful and visible in my life, but I did spend time summers, weekends with my grandparents and my grandmother had to have that pink tube of lipstick. And we knew for Mother's Day, her birthday, that is the gift that you would give her. And I remember going to the counter of Northland Mall, speaking from a Detroiter standpoint, Southfield. Northland. <laughs> Northland, yeah, Southeastern Michigan, right? And her going to the fashion fair counter, but it was bigger than that to answer your, your question, Corey. It was seeing a model and an advertisement that looked like my grandmother, that looked like my aunts, my uncles, or, you know, and, and just that family, you know, the dad buying the mom that was portrayed in that image, you know, fashion brand. I'm like, well, that's what we doing. And I think it just rooted me in the value of representation matters, seeing yourself matters. And at that time, I didn't know, you know, Fashion Fair was a Black-owned brand. I just knew that they took time to find people who look like me. Do you consider that moment when you were a kid, when you're creating work right now, right, and putting it out in front of millions of people, are you still thinking about that moment and how you might be creating that next moment for the next generation? Yeah, the cool thing is, I think that's, we'll get into that later about what I do. It's about making sure that people see themselves in the products that you want to immerse them in. And notice I say immerse and not sell, because to me, true marketing is when you can invite people into your lifestyle experience and let them see that it's an extension of how they live. People don't want to be sold to, they want to be included, right? You have this whole movement of inclusivity. So when they feel that it's a two-way street, you have to acknowledge that with social media, right? And this thing called Black Twitter, this <laughs> not a destination, but a vibration, right? To see what consumers are really saying. I think that's the beauty of the work that I do because I love to impress to people. It's diversity of thought. It's not always color. When you can understand, right, we're on the heels of Ramadan and other holidays or cultural moments in time, or if you shop overseas, you have to be mindful of Chinese New Year, right? You're going into the way people do business and their behavior. Not all of that is rooted in color. So when you make a conscious effort to understand people's behaviors, to make those connections and influence how they spend their dollar and how you show up in their lives, that's when you can bridge from conversion to a loyalist. And that's the work that I seek to do. Also, I'm a wise consumer. I like to shop and do things that work for my lifestyle and be introduced to things that will make me better or bring my life ease. And a lot of that comes from educating as well. A lot of consumers, to your point, from the spot or the campaign you mentioned, they see it, but how does that really transfer to their life to be something that they would want to keep up for year over year? And I would say that's a sweet spot. So the crux of that would be authenticity. Is the work that I'm doing, we're doing authentic to the consumers we want to reach and can they see themselves? I love that. I love that. And it's so funny about just, again, seeing yourself, you know, in in my line of work from a talent acquisition perspective, which is ironically, Juanita and I could have met a million times, but we, re- we met in the space of talent acquisition. And 
I think we both over the years continue to advocate for one another. And one of the themes that we want to share to our listeners and followers as we grow is that the road to success in this industry has been paved by many who do look like us. And I would love to know in terms of your journey, whether it was from, you know, you talked a bit about your family, your grandparents and school, but even in the early years, can you talk a little bit about some of the people that really at the very early years, whether it was at, you know, supporting Ford that were in your corner and maybe opened a door for you that you might not have been able to get through? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is that you have to be exposed to things. And I remember I went to Jezu for a couple of years for primary school here in Detroit. And I remember telling, she was like our, our lunch aide who will relieve our, our teacher. I want to be a nail tech. And she was like, you don't want to do that. You want to go make money. But my family believed in me and saw that and also had my nail license. I say that to say it takes one person to turn a thought into something tangible. And doing nails is what got me through undergrad, graduate school. My family owned a salon on the west side of Detroit, one six mile in Livernois, right? And at times you can't be around people who have a limited purview of what you want to do. So I'm lucky that my family said, you want to do what? Okay, well, we're going to help you do it. So at a young age, I didn't even know, you know, like the definition of an entrepreneur because we had many of them in my family from owning a record store, cosmetologists, dry cleaners, like they instilled in me, whatever you want to do, if there's a will, there's a way. So that's one. Two, our beloved Hampton University, I must gush on my professor and I say this all the time. Dr. Janice Collins. It was come a scene. Yeah, come on, right. Scripps Howard, School of Communications, first graduating class in 2003. Like most college or senior capstone processes, you have to take, you know, senior capstone. And I had a chance because of her. I wanted to be in television before I graduated. And she allowed me to take this job at Channel 13, WVEC, the ABC affiliate in Norfolk, Virginia. And she called my manager to make sure I was going to that job. So I had my first job in March. I didn't graduate until May. It was her belief for her students in Hampton's Way, an education for life. I want to help you find your first job. So you're going to go to do your capstone, but I'm also going to check in with you when you go to this job and you leave a little bit early to make sure that I truly believe that I could do whatever I wanted to do, which was graduate in a certain amount of time and land a job in television. So Janice Collins, I will forever give her her verbal roses. And even Rebecca, when you emailed me, I said, you, what people need to understand is the spirit of networking. And when you ask for things, you have to believe that all things work in the divine. I remember Rebecca and I told the young lady who I reached out to you for, I saw her this weekend. I said, I'm going to talk about you. I reached out to Rebecca for a job for someone else. Like, hey, oh, my homegirl from Global Hue, we went to Hampton together. I think she's a recruiter. Let me find out for you. And Rebecca said, oh, I think that job is full, but what are you doing? Huh? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm trying to get married. And that informal interview led to where I am right now. In this month, I celebrate six years at General Motors. So if it wasn't for me looking out for my friends, like we always do and knowing people and having that network, I would not be here. And I tell people that is a legit thing. So I, like I told you an email, Rebecca, whenever I see your name, I'm delighted to respond. And it just centers me on what true networking and being a part of someone tribe really means. 100%. Right back at you. You know I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> we are our best advocates. That's the part I think we forget, right? I don't know too many people in this modern time that get jobs without knowing somebody somewhere. You know what I mean? Especially Black people. I just don't think you can just send your resume out somewhere and expect to mysteriously appear at the top of the stack 
I think you kind of need to create relationships, long lasting that, you know, and a good reputation that can follow you and precede you. A hundred percent. And I think also like the intention, I think the biggest aha, even for me, Juanita meeting you is that you were advocating for someone else. And what I continue to tell people, and I'm always grateful is that, you know, people carry my name, you know, I carry your name in rooms that you are not in and make sure that I'm advocating for you because I sent your name to someone else and they again, (laughs) you know, shared it with someone else. So it is all in the relationship, but then again, selfless, to be honest, like really thinking about how you can help another person, but also trying to find a really good fit. I think some people may think that, you know, this is easy, you know, and, and unintentional, but even in your story, Juanita, how you talked about where you went to school, what you chose, you knew you wanted to graduate in a certain amount of time, you wanted to work on television. That should not be ignored, that you had a vision for yourself and you put yourself in positions where you could be recognized and pulled along. Because the the other thing too that I try to tell young people is that you do need to research, you do need to know how this works so that you can put yourself in a position where when the opportunity presents itself, you're ready to take the seat. Yeah, you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And thank you for that. I received that. For people unfamiliar with your title, head of multicultural <laughs> marketing right? for Cadillac. I mean, I don't know. what? <laughs> like, okay, it's a mouthful, but a lot of people, you know, especially not in the industry, they don't, they don't really understand. So give us the cookout version. Your auntie walks up to you at the cookout. <laughs> She's like, baby, what do you do? What do you do? I translate data and metrics that we use in marketing and research to creative through a dynamic partnership Cadillac has with Spike DDB, our multicultural agency of record led by Spike Lee and that team to make sure the creative that we have that runs on television, social, digital, CRM, customer response marketing resonates with them. So if you see or if you've seen our spot called Black Future featuring Killer Mike, And his wife is driving. That is by design because we know women drive purchase intention. Women drive where we spend the money in the home. So to put her in the seat was not by chance. Our recent spot that we featured for Holiday here in Detroit is a national spot. Holiday in Detroit. And then for Black History Month, we set it at a dealer because it goes back to that trust, right? When you go to your friend, you say, who owns this? Who owns that? It's that word of mouth. And we wanted to show that the dealer is in the epicenter of making those purchase decisions. You go to someone who is familiar and at times who looks like you, right, to make one of the biggest purchase decisions of your life, which purchasing a vehicle can be. So driving creative campaigns that resonate, inspire, and either bring people to our brand who may not have known about it or continue to show the innovative products that Cadillac has because we are the top tier luxury brand. And we champion big dreams and bold ambitions. So I just have the privilege of working alongside a team that does that. And I get to specialize in our cultural nuances to connect with audiences, consumers through experiential and creative. So with these big titles comes a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. How do you maintain a healthy lifestyle, continue to keep close connections with family and friends in the midst of this dynamic job that has taken up so much of your time? Well, one, talking to friends like you all right now, having an inner circle of peers that are in the space and out to help me digest and unpack some things. Breathwork, I've gotten more into yoga in the past three years, just 
you know, on the heels of COVID and so much social unrest, just listen to my breath. I remember my dad telling me, go be still. And I get what stillness can be. It can be healing, right? Meditation. My husband is my funny bone. I have to give him kudos for making me mellow out. He'll tell me, do you need to go to Phyllis Island and get get yourself (laughs) together and, and figure that out? So I am privileged that my partner in life helps me stay balanced and helps me laugh and helps me put things in perspective. And my best friends from Hampton, you know, I got a Hampton plug. I'm lucky that my two girlfriends I graduated with, we all had our jobs before we left school. We still talk, text to keep each other balanced and sane, sharing a couple of gifs. Rebecca knows one of our confidants we have in common, Deja Grayson. She's yes. one that we Deja. may not, you know, De- yeah, everybody knows Deja, yeah. right? Deja is that spirit where we may not talk every day, but if I send her a side eye or a meme or a headline, she gets me. I would say having people that get you is key and not taking things too seriously. I definitely will have to drop the book, The Four Agreements. It helps me keep things in perspective and not to hold on to what I can't carry. Oh, I know that's right. Don't hold on to what you can't carry. Drop those bags. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Erica Badu said it best. Can't be a bag lady. Got to pack light. Not at all. So even thinking about all the things that we've picked up along the road, now that you're on the client side, we'd love to talk a little bit about your time on the agency side. That's where Corey and I have, are hanging out these days. Can you tell us a little bit about your time in agencies and kind of what you learned? It's so cool you asked me that question because I remember when I was hired in my second agency job, I remember the uh, job description said I must have agency experience. And that would trip up a lot of my peers at that time, you know, trying to get into the ad world. And I'll be honest, I didn't get it, right? Luckily, I was in my second agency, but boy, do I get it now. Agency life taught me to be overprepared. And when you think you are prepared, you're still not prepared. It taught me doing the research. And before we were called SMEs or, you know, experts or whatever, you came with a backup plan to the backup plan. And I would say I appreciate the rigor that agency life taught me. I appreciate the creative side of me. Like one of my peers called me a creative. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of creative. Because you have to think through situations and see beyond the obstacles and see the opportunity. You have to define no as next opportunity because that is what your client is demanding of you. I also define when I was doing PR as being pretty resourceful. You have to figure it out. Like those are just some of the core things agency has taught me. And the agency brought me people like you, Rebecca, Dettavio Samuels, Angela Spencer Ford, who hired me at Global Hue, who's still my mentor to this day. Just this network of us that I know I could not be and do what I do without them. I love that. I love that. And then what have you brought to the client side from agency work? Grace. I think the biggest thing I remember being on the agency side was now, now, now. I'll tell my team, like, I remember everything couldn't be a fire. I don't know if y'all have felt that. Like, (laughs) okay, cool. I was like, we're going to get real like transparent, right? I'm like, everything cannot be a fire. So I don't pull the fire alarm with my team unless I have to. And by the time I do, I've been sending smoke signals. You know what I mean? So you know if I'm calling it, if I need a Hail Mary or if it's an SOS, you know I really need you to come through. But I just learned from my time on the agency side, probably over-communicating, letting them know what's going on, letting them know what my key deadlines are, trying to get ahead of the curve so we all can work more harmoniously together 
and celebrating the win. I'll say it, and I'm very fortunate. We've won a couple awards in my time here. You can't see me, you know, raising my hands. I'm so proud. But a lot of that has come from the creative energy and the team at Spike DDD pushing. And I've said no. And they turned my no back on to me and said, well, you said that means next opportunity. And I'm like, well, I did. So <laughs> I, would, I would say having a servant leader mentality mm. and just respecting everyone's genius and their idiosyncrasies to work better together. Well, aren't you a dream client? <laughs> right. I think the beauty is when you've been on the other. I mean, I, I'm not a parent. I'm a super auntie. But I think it's when you've been on the other side, right? When you can kind of see and feel what's going on and just saying, hey, something may hit. I got a feeling and letting them know when the time is right. And I think that fosters belief in you and your style and they know you were in it with them. And I would just say working with the agency I have in the past two years, it's this vibe. It brings me back to my agency days. And like I said, I'm just fortunate to work with so many creative people. Spike DDB, what a shout out. <laughs> yeah, oh, those, those are my people. I tell them all the time. Word. So we're in the, this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop. I'm turning 50 this year. So, oh, okay, let's go. Yeah, so there's been a, as you know, our generation continues to climb, you definitely see a shift. And, you know, from a creative point of view, I can remember so many times I've tried to, I pitched a Dave Chappelle campaign before the Chappelle show, pre-Chappelle show. But my bosses weren't in tune with what was happening, what was coming. Six months later, Dave Chappelle was like, way too big for us to get him. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, you're telling us about how you are working with Killer Mike. I can remember a time if I walked into a client room, forget a client board room. If I just walked into my boss's office and said the words killer, we want to work with Killer Mike, that would not have gone well, right? But now we have somebody in the room who has the understanding about who somebody like Killer Mike actually is. What that moniker means the fact that he's somebody who advocates for Black businesses, is a community activist, cultural educator. It's like the room became smarter because you were in that room. Can you talk about that shared responsibility that we have, both as the client and the agency side, to continue to dig below that surface level culture and find those hidden stories, those true gems that can really affect people? For sure. I'm all about, and, and so is my CMO, Melissa Grady at Cadillac. We're here for transformative matters and efforts and not performative, right? Making sure that we appreciate culture and not appropriate it. So when I came into the role, Killer Mike was already working with Cadillac. But to your point about my job and responsibility, when talking about him or anyone we work with, you never know who your audience is going to be. So you always have to ground it with the who, what, where, when, and why, right? So to your point, letting them know that his name is Killer Mike, you know, Michael Santiago and what his real name is. And the reason Killer is there because he was a battle rapper battling to talk about what's going on in his community. Right. Stand toe to toe with anyone to see what he's doing right now in politics. Right. So when you grounded in who someone is, how they got their name, I mean, let's be real. We all know people who have nicknames. Right. So when you can just take the time to demystify. But again, I think when you talk about culture, you talk about music, you talk about progression and innovative. Cadillac celebrated our 120th anniversary last year. And a lot of those strides were made by people for the brand and in the brand. And when I say for the brand, we know who buys our cars. And we also know how some people got their cars. 
whether it be secondhand or the first time you got to purchase a Cadillac and then how we've transcended in song. Cadillac has been mentioned over 42,000 times in music across all genres. So to be a part of such a cultural fabric that is so diverse, we know music is a universal language. I think that's the beauty and where I sit, having worked across all big three, we're synonymous with culture. Look, no matter where I go, everyone has a Cadillac story. From Lynn Whitfield telling me when we were in Martha's Vineyard for an activation, girl, my mom and my aunt would stand in front of their Cadillac and their hot shorts or, you know, wherever it was. Or my grandmother bought, you know, she saved up her money for this. Or we go to church in this. I tell people it's a beauty when a vehicle can be celebrated from church to a home going. If you think about New Orleans celebration of life and you see a Cadillac and then you see musicians, mothers, athletes pulling up in an Escalade to our all new electric vehicle. So I think for us, for Cadillac, it was that we've been a brand about innovation. We've been a brand about change. We've been a brand when you call us out, we listen and respond. And working with change agents like a Killer Mike, a Spike Lee, Goyo, an Afro-Latina Grammy Award winning artist who was featured in one of our spots. We work with Mafio, a Dominican Grammy Award winning producer, and the list goes on to having our logo be used by Outkast for their song, right? They just celebrated Southern Playlistic Cadillac Style Funky Music, right? Over 20 some odd years ago, they embraced our brand. The spot we just did, I talked about earlier, was called Play My Cadillac. Lucky Day, the song he has called Real Games, it features Cadillac. I was with my nephew. We were listening to the Migos and it said Cadillac. So it's just something undeniable about our brand, which cements that we are iconic. And our tagline is be iconic because we are not solely because of us, but the people who also help us drive innovation, such as Killer Mike and the others that I've mentioned. Very cool. I can talk about my brand, as you can see. I love it. Love it. In the brand, there's also what it's like to work at General Motors in general. In 2020, you know, following George Floyd's murder, a lot of the companies and our agencies made commitments about representation and making sure that we we do show up in the stories and we are a part of marketing as a whole, but also from an equity perspective, how it folds into multicultural marketing budgets and media budgets. And we do see a lot of people talking about that in Black media. Just curious of how you feel about brands and are they making good on some of these promises? And and do you see that this is being perceived more than just merely performative? Like, how are you all dealing with with trying to to push the narrative and, and get more resources to tell our stories? Well, Cadillac, as well as General Motors, we've had an always-on approach. And it's something that we've recognized a long time ago that, you know, Mary Barr, the CEO of GM, has said she envisioned General Motors to be the most inclusive company in the world. And I think a lot of times, and I said it earlier, when you speak about diversity, you think color. But I think this was a reckoning where you had to also think about age. There was a lot of ageism going on. There was a lot of overlooking people with disabilities. They were also overlooking younger people. And we know when you think about where marketers are going to get their message out, you think about TikTok. Now, I won't talk about my father, who's still allergic to social media, but TikTokers are in that younger age group, in that younger demographic. So it's something that I think the reckoning forced people to really look at. Do these brands, like we talked about earlier, whether it's a Budweiser, a fashion fair, what have you, are they showing up in places that I purchase or want to give my dollar to? This consumer is smarter and they pay more attention to what you're doing than what you're saying. And what I can say about Cadillac, we've been in the forefront of social movement. So much so we had Cadillac.com backslash audacity 
that's not only where our creative lives, but that's also where we champion entrepreneurs like Renee Blewett, who's in Brooklyn. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Renee. She did the documentary. She did that, right? Before there was a movement about what women, African-American women specifically are doing, like Lisa Price, Kelly Coleman, and Annika Jackson with the 10 Nail Bar in Detroit, Melissa Butler and the Lip Bar, she documented that. And she was a partner of Cadillac or really General Motors when I got here in 2017. So I think if anything, brands and businesses have turned up the volume on the work that they're doing, but they know they have to have an always-on presence. And that's something that we've had and have across all of our mediums because our consumers are definitely paying attention and calling us out now more than ever. Wow, that's really cool. You know, when I walk into boardrooms now, there are obviously a lot more allies than ever before, but there are also a lot more of my peers than ever before both on the agency side and the client side. But we are still in our little silos, trying to leave our marks, trying to do the best work we can. But what about collectively? Collectively, what can we be doing to help welcome you know, that next generation in to open those doors, to break down more barriers? What do you think that we can do collectively to kind of help that? You said the key word, and I would say open. I remember when I first entered this crazy world, I was told to go sit in the corner and take copious notes at my first dealer meeting. And I was like, okay, well, that didn't feel good. But right, you're playing the game because you're, you know, you're doing what you think corporate looks like and what that structure looks like. I think you have to be open to dialogue. Like I remember I had an intern at the time and we were just talking and she was in a conversation. She said, JK. And I was like, oh, we abbreviate. Okay, cool. But it was also to let me know too, you don't have to be so stringent, right? As long as we can be you and I together, but I can let you know like, okay, now when we present, don't say that, right? But I think we've seen people be more open and more of themselves than we ever have before. But I think you have to find your comfort level with that. Like, I'll be honest, I'm not comfortable going in a meeting and saying, JK, but they may be able to. But the thing is, you have to have an open mind to get there. I'm going back to what I said before. Where are they coming from? It's the diversity of thought, right? Because think about the spots and commercials we have now. Now they are speaking in acronyms. Now whole spots are saying LOL or things that are tongue in cheek to our culture or using hip hop music to sell. I can't think of the spot sprinkles or whatever the, you know, the commercial is or insurance. So you have to look at that by being open to say, how can I reach this audience who we may not be reaching? Or how can I deepen the resonance I have with this consumer audience? So I would say for me, being open would be the best gift and tool to utilize and ask questions. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Finding Forrester. Soup questions. I tell people all the time, don't ask a question that can be answered with yes or no. If you really want to get to know something, ask a soup question that will take more than a yes or no to see how that person crafts their thoughts or gives you a little bit more background about them because, look, I'm a data person. That's an insight, right, that you can use to inform your creative that you're going to go to market with. So I would say be open and stay curious. Do you still have love for this after all these years, after all the ups and downs? Is the true love still there? Are you burnt out at all? Or are you just still fresh and loving it? You have times, honestly. It's an ebb and flow. My family and colleagues know I'm fortunate. I go on an annual family sabbatical. The third week in March, my godmother introduced me to Holiday in Barbados. She's been going to Barbados for 20 years and she loves me and has invited me the past 14. 
And it's taught me to unplug. I read my four agreements. That's normally my yearly book. I read, I meditate, Oprah's The Wisdom of Sundays because I come back to what keeps me doing this. And for me, as if I can further reach someone who did not feel seen, heard, or valued and tell their story, that's what keeps me coming back to doing this work. I am probably more passionate than ever before because now we have more mediums. Before we used to think about grassroots campaigns or guerrilla marketing. I mean, now we have all these social media engines, which they're not easy. They do take strategy, but they give us more ground to cover. They allow us to work with friends who are in business and in different budgets to say, let me help you put a brand strategy together. Let me help you launch this idea and craft this narrative that I know my cousin, for instance, she's in cosmetology. I know she at times she says, I wish I would have had social media 30 years ago. Right. Or what's going on right now on Hulu? Everyone's worried about Freaknik, right? Because stories, they, they weren't meant to be recorded. So I would say as long as this space continues to make space for our stories and we can tell more of it from behind and in front of the camera, the passion that you hear in my voice, I hope, will not fade. I've learned how to practice being still and rejuvenating because it's definitely needed when you're doing, I call this my passion work. I'm lucky that my profession and my passion intersect every day. Brilliant. So we're in the home stretch. Last question I would love to ask you is, you've got the platform to talk to all those young people at Scripps Howard. What would you tell them as they try to enter this vast space of marketing, whether it's TV, social, client side? What parting words would you give these young folks that are listening? Take stock in yourself. Believe you can do it and do the work. Do the work. Do the work. I think the easiest thing is, you know, we joke, oh my goodness, you have LinkedIn or whatever, but is it populated? Are you meeting people at an event, family function? I remember when I was a young journalist, I was on a plane flying somewhere and I met a female and a male journalist from NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists. And then I went on to run on Hampton's campus for NABJ and we stayed in touch. Just seeing people, and I didn't even know what NABJ was, right? You have NASBY for engineering, right? When you meet these people, because now, again, see, I'm older, <laughs> right? I had to catch myself. Yeah. That you, were, you were given business cards. Right. Now you have LinkedIn. You can remember someone's name. You can Google them. You can read an article or what have you, but take the time to send the email. Not the, oh, I just met you, but whatever may connect you with them to add them to your network and stay engaged before you need them. Do the work and be genuine in doing so. Love it. I love it. Thank you for being here. Please let us know how we can follow your journey. Should we follow you on LinkedIn? Where do we catch you? All the above. I would say to stay in touch with where Cadillac is going and driving impact, please follow Cadillac.com backslash audacity to find me on uh, LinkedIn or Instagram. It's Juanita Slappy. Pretty, pretty out there. I'm pretty slaptastic. <laughs> you can <laughs> put my name in. So no, thank you both. This has been a, a great, great discussion. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. This has been another episode of the Invisible Soldiers podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts. Peace. Peace.